Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This episode is sponsored by Try Vegan, a vegan meal home delivery service that is nutritious and delicious and makes your life easier. Based out of New Jersey, they deliver throughout the Northeast. Check out more details on their website, tryveganmealprep.com. And you can get 25% off your first order with the promo code LITYOGA. So go vegan. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through safer and smarter movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Today is Friday with friends and I have a wonderful friend who I've known for a brief amount of time, but she is nonetheless a shining beacon literally. Her name is Grace Luzak. Grace is one of the Olympic rowers that I've been working with for the past year. She was in the 2016 Olympics, and I'm so grateful to have you on the show today. Welcome. Thanks, Laura. I'm so excited to be here. And I love your intro. I totally am all for positive body movement, making sure all beings are in that space. <laughs> I know you are, and you have your little little sweet being next to you right now, Jelly Bean. Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like, yeah... I feel like our goal, and this is probably, and I, I really get this sense about you, like in, in interviews, I've seen it, is um, I feel like when we feel really good and strong in our own body, this uh, vehicle that takes us around and, and that holds our spirit, and it, then we just, we want that for others. You know, we want to extend that sense of kindness, compassion, and strength to all beings around us. Hundred percent. I just came off of a workout right now, and I'm feeling great. And I want everyone else to feel great around me. So, right. Time to share. I know. I know. Well, that's great. Well, I want to first start off by saying, how did you get into rowing? I mean, rowing is such a interesting sport because there is like the technique is. I think once you get it, it's probably not like it's not on the scale of like very high, like in terms of hard to do, but you're doing it over and over again. Like it's, it's like the discipline involved 
it's strength, it's endurance, it's, but it's got to be just like that razor sharp focus that you don't get to have ADD. <laughs> so how did you, how did, how did you pick, uh, how did you pick rowing? Well, honestly, my mom, um, so I have an older sister and my mom read an article. It was either in the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times that said, um, do you have tall daughters? Was the first line. Mom was like, yes. Uh, do you want them to go to college for free? Why not? Sure. Uh, have them try rowing. And she's like, signed us up for rowing like the next day. <laughs> I love that. I've talked to a few rowers and their li- stories are literally like that. It was never about the sport per se. It was about like, this is a great pathway for the body that I have, like, I'm going to utilize it. Like when I, when I worked with, um, different, you know, they were like, I'm just going to optimize what I already have here. So you were tall from a young age. Yeah, a hundred percent. And exactly. Like did the typical like basketball and volleyball and then hopped into, to rowing and, and definitely similar. Like I think a lot of like young female athletes will look to, you know, who are swimmers or cross country and have that cardiovascular base or happen to be taller because see the opportunity in rowing. But honestly, as soon as I, I tried it, it was uh, in the summer in Michigan. And I was like, this is beautiful, like serene water. And like, you know, this wildlife, I had like a, a crane, like fly over us during our first practice. I was like, I'm hooked. And then I was like, oh, well, I guess this is a lot of work. All right, I'll work on that. <laughs> yeah. I, I So really the work is, uh, it's like a feedback loop. You know, like when you're on the water gliding, how amazing that feels, even if it is a lot, a lot that you're putting into it. But I'm imagining there's a lot of times you're not on the water where you have to have that memory of what that work gives you. Well, hundred percent. We've all experienced that. I think with this, this spring and summer too, with having the, the pandemic and, you know, my teammates and I all went inside and we're really lucky to have, you know, you with yoga and like bring the team back together. It's something that, you know, like I think, we honestly, like you can work it out and you can get better on your own, but having the connection and the team and like just other, like the community aspect of it is so important. And you can do that stuff inside. But I mean, I know everyone on the team was really thankful for having you to just like pull everyone together and we're like, okay, we've just been like all by ourselves, like working out on the rowing machine indoors and like, let's come back like as one group. It was really, really great. Yeah, I I love working with y'all. So when talk about the I mean aside from this abnormal time where we are separated but it sounds like some of you are getting back together because you can be outside and you're um, monitoring all that but even before this what is what is like how much of the sport is individual how much of it is it a team? I know the actual the execution of it in a competition is obviously a team but how much are you spending time alone working on things? Well, I mean, the sport itself, it's kind of like um, in an eight-person boat, there are four oars on each side, and then you have a coxswain. So it's almost like you're this little millipede, and if you all the legs like aren't working in unison, then you're going to fall over sideways. <laughs> um, they're definitely like, you know, each of the, the legs has to work hard and be strong on its own. So we all have to contribute and really work on you know, our own fitness and strengths so that you can be a positive contributor. Um, but in the end, like you, you take those characteristics and in order to go fast, you have to be together as one team. Is it easy to spot the weak link in a, in a boat? I mean, I'm just like, if you have eight people, like I, I'm thinking back to like, I played clarinet and I did not play it well, but it was like, I'm kind of absorbed with the 10 of other clarinet players around me. 
So as long as I didn't squeak, which was like the most embarrassing thing as a clarinet player, that, uh, I'm, I, you know, it, is there any impact like that? Like you could be a little bit weaker and it's not that noticeable because there are eight or seven other people? Or is it pretty obvious if somebody is just like not um, putting in the same amount, like the output is just not the same? There's definitely that um, the potential to have that squeak moment where you just lose total control of your oar and you can get this thing called an ejector crab where your oar basically jackknifes against the boat and you get like, caught in a wake or something. And then you get the momentum of the oar totally stopping and the boat continuing to move. is problematic because it can hit you in the chest and send you overboard. Um, which does not happen very often, <laughs> but um, I think that's happened um, in like a prior Olympics or world championship. It's literally called an injector. Like it's going to like e- eject you or you go flying out of the boat. Like you'll, they're hilarious stills of uh, rowers with their feet, like straight up in the air and their bodies underwater. Okay. I'm going to, I'm now going to go, I'm now going to like YouTube this because I've never heard of that. But physics, it makes sense. Like you have all these forces in play and if something gets stuck, you're going to, the opposite force is you being, you know, catapulted. Yeah, it's, I mean, an unfortunate, uh, all the um, hilarious <laughs> Everybody is just like, okay, you, you know, like you've had your one indent. Has this happened to most people? Um, I think that the, the when that happens when you're in a single, you'll flip. Um, and I think most people who have been in a single have flipped. But in the bigger boats, it, there is kind of that protection with like herd immunity almost <laughs> where um, it, it's less likely that it's going to happen. If it does, you're probably not going to get to the point where you're getting hit and sent out of the boat. But I'm not going to name names, but definitely one of the men um, on the U.S. team, like in the middle of practice, <laughs> he kind of just went flying out of the boat in a four, which was very odd. But it can happen. <laughs> well, it's so interesting because this past weekend I was at the lake and there was a, a rower and I guess it's called like when you're single and you're doing both sides, that's rowing, right? It's it's the same thing, right? And I was watching and I thought, okay, I could get the leg thing, but I actually saw that there has got to be a, it's a finesse and a coordination, especially I'm sure with, I, I definitely with two, but even probably with the one, there is that element of like, yeah, you don't want to F up the the top end. Uh, there is such a finesse of that. I mean, did you ever feel like super awkward? Like you had these extensors that you didn't have control over and how do you, how do you work on that? You just get on the boat yeah. more? A hundred percent. Like, especially when, you know, I was uh, tall and gangly in high school. It's like, that's extra going to happen. <laughs> but I think that, um, you know, if you have a good coach who like slows things down, you actually realize too, depending on what type of boat you're in, the, the speed of the water is different. So kind of the, the more like artistic, like softer side of rowing is being able to learn how to feel the water and you feel the pickup speed. And that's where like your hand, your motions of your, your hands into the catch and how you release the water. It's not just all brute force and like, you know, being the strongest and the fittest, like you have to have those components. Um, but in order to optimize at the you know highest level you need to have the finesse so you can be efficient and really you're you're just working with nature and you're like okay how do i like decrease the amount of drag and speed and like what can i do to be like let the flow happen it's extreme flow so in terms of flow how how much do you think would you attribute to the core your core 
your physical core? Oh, a ton, a ton, because you have like the, you know, your legs are like, you know, the muscle and that's what's making everything happen. Cause in rowing, your seat has wheels on it. And as you push back, it's, it's mainly like a leg driven sport, but then your handle is connected to your hands. So that, that core is the core piece to connect from the handle to the power that's happening, like in your legs. And then obviously with your core as well. So it's, it's huge. And I think that everyone realizes too, um, almost a little too late when they get injured because of the repetitive nature of the sport, how critical it is. Um, and that's something that we try and work on daily. Yeah, I know. I know when I first um, started working with rowers, oh, it was probably nine years ago. And they would tell me like, L, she would tell me like, most people have fractured their ribs at least once. And a lot of people a lot of rowers multiple times. And I was like, fracture your ribs? Like that takes some effort. Like that's a stress. And it is because, yeah, the demand. And if this, the, the demand and the force that you're generating isn't matched and held into the body through those core muscles, then the impact's going to be on the ribs. Have you ever fractured yours? Yeah, thankfully not. Um, but it is crazy to think about like, you know, you will yourself to the rowing's not a contact sport, you know, but then people will fracture, have fractures as a result of just willing yourself to like build your lats to be so strong that they're pulling on your ribs and like over and over again. And you're causing your own fracture, which is crazy. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. And you need those actually deep, like the muscles that are closer to the skeleton to be stronger even. I mean, the lats need to be strong, but if they're overpowering the underlying muscles, there, that the, then there's no counter to that pull, and that's where you get that fracture. It's like those. That's I've noticed this with a lot of athletes. The deeper layers that are, if you look at a skeleton, and then you just like the first layer that you start to layer the muscles, those are not often as given as much attention to as the big mover muscles. And if they aren't really really strong, they're the pla- they're the they're the anchor literally. So you can't at a certain point, there's going to be some kind of overuse and the overuse here would be in the ribs. So let's get back to your mom. Okay. Your mom said, I want you to do rowing because I want you to, did you get a scholarship? Uh, yeah, it worked out. Yay. Um, so where did you end up, where did you end up getting a scholarship and how does that for any moms that are out there? Cause I do know that it still happens. Like how does, how does that work out? I mean, I know my son's in basketball and the coach said like, you've got to recruit for yourself. Like when people aren't coming around looking for you, did, how did that happen with rowing? Yeah, I think that, um, well, with rowing, because I started in high school, um, I had the opportunity to try out for the junior national team. Uh, so coaches, uh, were like aware of some of the people who are on that squad, but in order to make that happen, like I had to take, we submit erg scores. So it's like how fast you go for a certain uh, distance. You submit those to US, US rowing, like our um, governing body, and then as well to coaches. So you definitely have to take a lot of initiative with just going on to the different university websites. And like you, you know, even if you haven't taken all the testing yet, um, you insert like what your scores are academically and athletically and just start conversations with coaches. So I actually went to the University of Michigan for my freshman year and then transferred to Stanford, which definitely transferring is a whole nother ball of you know, cards, I think too, with, uh, figuring that whole piece out, but definitely if, if you have kids who are interested in athletics, you contact coaches, they want to hear from you and get that, definitely get that going. 
So you went, you ended up at Stanford and how did, so did you know Elle there or were you guys, you guys are, you're, you're younger, so you didn't cross over with her. Yeah, but she actually took a year off um, for competing in the Olympics before. So she and I ended up in the same class. We both graduated at the same time. That was very cool. So yeah, yeah, how do you go from, okay, so you guys are there. Obviously, Stanford's got to be a good team if it has both of you there. And both of you are Olympians. How do you go from being a collegiate athletes to being recruited for the Olympics and then going to the Olympics? I mean, it's actually kind of similar to um, being recruited for college. You submit scores, um, you reach out and talk to the coaches and tell them you're interested and figure out if there's a, a path there or not. Um, both Ellen and myself actually rode for the U.S. team while we were in college for that senior Olympic level. So the world championships happened during the non-Olympic years. And so she and I raced down in New Zealand our senior year and took the semester from afar. So it was a pretty cool experience. Like in October... Yeah. New Zealand, like everyone was dressed up for Halloween, but it was warm out. It was very confusing <laughs> coming from Michigan. <laughs> but yeah, it was a cool experience. Okay. So let's, let's jump to the Olympics. So which Olympics were you in? Where was it located? So it was 2016 Olympics, which are down in Rio. Rio. Okay. Wasn't there like some, there was this, some drama down there. Somebody. Oh, there is always a lot. Oh, there's some drama. Cause I wanted, <laughs> what was it? Zika? Zika was the, yeah. Oh, and then with the swimmers too. Yes. What was going on with, yeah, there's, yeah. So let's talk about the Olympic Village. Like, I know you're not going to divulge much, but is, what's, like, are you all kind of sticking to your own thing and just kind of eyeballing other teams and other countries? Or is there some integration and some like socialization that's really fun? Is there anything really weird? Any kind of fun highlight notes you want to tell us about? Um, there, probably the most popular place in the village was McDonald's. Um, I think pre and post people competing, which was crazy because we were very much corralled pre, um, competition and the Olympics are two weeks long. So rowing is in the first week. And because of that, we showed up um, probably a week and a half before the Olympics even started before the opening ceremonies. So it was really interesting going into the village and it was a ghost town. It was totally empty and it was... Actually, like even the buildings weren't totally complete. And I think there were a couple of unhappy subcontractors who poured quick concrete down the pipes, which was super problematic for our first night down there. But the U.S. delegation like flew in overnight contractors to come and fix all the plumbing. So we like to not have working anything like our showers, our toilets and sinks. So that was kind of a crazy first introduction. <laughs> But it's really cool because it's like a bunch of condos set up. So the U.S. was like one entire condo where it was like 14 floors. And there were, I don't know, like 40 other buildings like that where um, each floor was dedicated to a country. So if you're a smaller team, like say you're you know, Team Morocco and Ethiopia, they will split in a building. And it's like a couple of floors. Outside of the building, there's a big flag to represent the country. And it's really cool. Like you, you have to think like, man, geopolitically, like how do they decide what countries are going to be in the same building and like be able to cross over? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you're in a building based on your sport, but then within that building, there are other countries. It's all um, based on country. So all of Team USA was in one building, which meant that like, you know, I rode the elevator with Phelps and Serena Williams too. Like where it was like, like you're like, okay, you know, we're going to be cool here. We're going to be cool here. <laughs> 
You're like, oh my gosh. Do I not take a selfie? Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Can you stop the elevator for a moment? Click. <laughs> uh, and is everybody pretty friendly or are they in their zone or kind of like, it, I mean, sure it's dependent on the personality of, of individuals anyway. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I think that people get a little bit more focused when it's around their competition time. But it's really funny because if you're in the second week, then, you know, half the other athletes are already done. So they may have begun like, you know, partying or going to sponsor houses. And um, I think that it was uh, uh, Usain, Usain Bolt's 30th birthday party that like happened in the village during the second week. And so he's a DJ and had like a DJ booth thing like outside. And like there was a party outside, but it was during competition for everyone that was competing in week two. So I was like, my goodness, if I were a second week athlete, I would like get a hotel. <laughs> right. I was going to say, like, it'd be hard to stay in the village. And I'm sure that there's probably been some stories where someone, you know, partied too much and it did affect their performance. <laughs> but it's got to be yeah. wild to have all of these athletes of this level. I mean, top of the world athletes congregating. And I mean, I wonder how they, how the Olympic village idea came about. Yeah, I don't know, but it is pretty amazing. I mean, it's so cool to just see, like even in the cafeteria itself, they have set up of different like regions of food from all over the world. So, you know, people will sample like different, you know, regions, you'll see different people rotating through I don't know. That part was really cool to me. It was just like the mass of humanity. And like, you know, you have this huge variety of body type also, depending on the sport. Um, and I remember the the gymnasts used to travel around in a pack together and they were like all wearing the same outfit and like coordinated every day. And like they had like a, you know, basically like a little manager who was following them around to make sure everything was fine, even in like the athlete area in the cafeteria. And I showed up and like everyone was going wild because we had all these crazy like, Nike and Ralph Lauren clothes. We'd wear these like crazy outfits for like opening ceremonies, you know, down to lunch or whatever. And so I was wearing this all white outfit with like a white bucket hat and like jumper and like little skirt thing. And I went up to the gymnast and got a picture with them. And I looked like the abominable snowman next to them. It was so funny. (laughs) Now, do you get to keep all these outfits? Does everybody get an outfit from a sponsor that you wear to the opening night and then you can keep it? Yeah, exactly. We um, ended up with everyone goes through the the processing took place in Texas, um, this uh, the previous Olympics, and basically you go through and it's like a fantasy shopping spree where like there's a whole pop up facility for Nike and for Ralph Lauren where Ralph Lauren will measure you and like day of uh, do alterations and send stuff back to you for opening ceremonies, um, and then you have two suitcases full of clothes. Um, and you know, you'll pack some up and send them home, like hoping that they get to people in time before like your family members come out maybe they can grab some swag, you know, and wear it down for the Olympics. But it's, yeah, it's pretty crazy. That- and are family members allowed into the Olympic village or you have to, are they, or you have to meet them outside of it? Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember if my parents were allowed in the village. I mean, so the coaches and all the staff come in, um, but I, I don't think that there's like a little visiting area, but otherwise it's pretty much just like athletes and staff. Yeah. And do you have, do you have a curfew? Does like everybody have a curfew? Like where the v- village is like, it's like, I'm imagining like Oz and like 
the door shut. You can't come back in if you've been out. <laughs> um, yeah, there was a big problem with that actually, because the originally there, there was kind of a safety issue with Uber down there as well. Um, and so they weren't correctly like sponsoring or something with the games and they couldn't drop you off close enough. So people had to walk like a half mile or a mile back to the village. And the doors were pretty much open all the time. They didn't like lock you out and make you stay on the street, which was good. <laughs> but um, I know one of the track and field athletes like was, um, I think it was before she had competed actually, was coming back from like a, a required sponsor event that she had to do. It wasn't even very late. Um, and she was mugged like on her way back to like walking from the Uber drop off um, back in and like her backpack or her things were all stolen. So that part was, um, I mean, it was like a beautiful, beautiful country and an amazing games and a cool opportunity, but there were definitely like a, a couple of, you know, interesting moments. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So moving forward to the next Olympics. So you obviously you guys were planning to go this summer. You would be there right now, I guess. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and the disappointment, I think you probably, you all handled really well and, uh, you were, you've been interviewed and I've been in some interviews with you and, you know, you brought up things that I hadn't really even considered, which is like, yeah, it's delaying by a year. Okay. But that's also delaying all the other things that you would be doing after the Olympics would be done that you're like having to postpone. And you mentioned like some people want to getting married or starting to have kids or starting a new job. And how are you guys all dealing with that um, because some of it also is financial. You said like, you know, you're not really getting sponsored. So it's another year of not working because you can't really hold a job and being an Olympic athlete. It just doesn't, <laughs> it's pretty, it's probably, probably pretty hard to do. Um, how are you, how do you find like everyone in the team has handled that? Yeah, I think that everyone, I mean, it's, I mean, first of all, I think for everyone, it's been like a big, you know, mental thing to, to process because we don't really know when the end is and everything like that. But at least for, you know, the Olympic athletes, we now have a date for next year. So people are just, you know, took the summer to kind of train and refocus and are getting prepared for that. But yeah, I mean, there's a huge like sacrifice, I think, that comes with uh, training for the Olympics. We have immense support. Um, you know, from, you know, like all of our coaches and the staff and everyone that, that were able to make this dream happen. Okay. So speaking of Olympics, you were supposed to be going this summer, being there right now. And it was obviously delayed because of COVID. And in some of the interviews, you've revealed things that I hadn't even thought about, which is how you rowers have to not only wait a year to be able to compete, but you're also kind of putting your life on hold a little bit for a year because it's not like you can go ahead and get a job and be an athlete, um, an Olympic athlete. It just takes too much time or pursue a different career. Uh, like you said, some might want to get married and have babies. They're not going to be able to do that if they're training. How is your, how is your team handle that? Yeah, I think that it's definitely been, been a, a big thing for people to process. We've actually had a couple of people on the team decide that it wasn't right for them to continue to train an additional year and, you know, going off to grad school or like other pursuits. Um, so it's definitely a big challenge. There is a big sacrifice. Um, we're really lucky to have such great support in Princeton. You know, we live with host families and we have these amazing like coaches and staff that are making everything happen throughout the summer. And as we look toward next year, 
and just mentally like knowing that there is a date um, set for next year makes it so much easier. But for sure, like the you know, I worked in New York City for two years after 2016 and was working up in EY um, and worked for a startup Hydro for um, a bit as well. And you know, I kind of had to go um, take a pause on rowing and work in order to you know be financially like able to make this happen and give it another go again. Um, so this is a bit of a stretch. So definitely, um, if there are any sponsors out there that want to connect, we're all ears. <laughs> Seriously, there's got to be some incredible sponsors who love rowing and would you know, it's almost, what is it like sponsorship slash like a grant almost like you're given a stipend that is not just barely squeaking by on, but I mean, there's other sports like we were, we were just talking about, they've made a list of sports that this fall they're cutting because of COVID and rowing is on those. And it's, and it really seems like it's a, based on what's a money producer or what's, been typically a money producer. So it's almost like it has to be reframed. Almost like how women's soccer has gotten spotlighted over the years. It had, it's had some peaks and stuff. Um, do you feel like rowing is kind of in that same camp that it just doesn't get the sponsorship because it's not considered a big money generator? Yeah, I think it's a, it's definitely like an amazing sport. And I think everyone should, you know, go and give it a try in that, you know, the nature aspect and the amazing like flow and feeling that you get when everyone is in sync is incredible. But I think it's, it's a difficult sport to access. I think one of the questions that COVID has kind of given everyone a chance to take a step back and reevaluate is getting, you know, recruiting more diverse people to join rowing as well. Um, and so that I think, you know, the, the pandemic, I think provides an opportunity to take a moment and pause and think about things. But yeah, it's definitely tough. I think thinking about all these sports that are getting cut and imagining if you were a student athlete who's, you know, a rising junior or senior who's being recruited for one of those sports. And then all of a sudden that path is eliminated. Definitely very tough. Um, I I think that we're probably going to see more things rolling in like that, like more sports um, and more colleges adding to that list, which is really tough. It is. And I hope that, you know, as like you said, with the pause, maybe it'll, when we do come back together healthier and, and these sports are back on the lineup, that there is maybe a shuffling of, of importance, not only of more accessibility, like you said, bringing more diversity, but also bringing more diversity in what gets funding as well. Like what not the traditional stuff that is always getting so much more money too. maybe make it like like bring a little bit of that over to these sports that have been traditionally kind of almost underfunded and overlooked. Well, 100%. And, and honestly, like, I mean, obviously I'm biased because I'm a rower, but rowing is so cool. I mean, you have like, you know, the actor for Wolverine, like fully training, doing rowing, getting ripped and like people in, you know, X-Men and all those series, like getting ready for their movies and their choice of sport and choice of activity is rowing because it's so tough. Like it gets you like really, really in great shape and like, you know, all these actors look great. I don't know why everyone just doesn't want to do it. I know, seriously. And I will say this too. And I'm really saying this like from an objective standpoint, because I've met so many rollers. I feel like it makes you smart or it draws smart people. I just feel like there's an intelligence. And I think that it is a lot to do with the incredible discipline that it is involved. I mean, you, there's many sports, there's lots of hours involved, but I think with rowing in particular, the amount of hours you guys can spend because there's so many aspects to it, whether it's like 
weight training or endurance or like getting faster, um, getting more mobile. I mean, there's just, it, it's, it's really taken all, it's like, you know, going Tesla, you know, you've got like the computer, it's like super intelligent. And so I think, yeah, we should, we should be applauding rowing because it is, and, and go and watch it. It's so amazing to watch. And like you said, it's elegant to, to witness it. I'm sure to be obviously being a part of it is, is as elegant as well, but it's so elegant to watch. Yeah, it's definitely fun. And I think that that same mentality too is true with yogis. Like you have that, like, you know, it's a kind of that internal interest, you know, that introspection that happens, like when you have a little bit of peace of mind and quiet, um, that, that that's similar between the two sports as well, which I really appreciate. Yeah. And I think that, um, they might be similar in this way, but it's also something I've gotten from yoga and some endurance stuff. It's like being okay with being uncomfortable. Like it's like, there's, there's actually a real discipline in that. Like this is uncomfortable. It freaking sucks right now. And I'm staying, you know what I mean? Like that's like, there's something that builds, um, I always call tenacity, you know, like tenacity is such a great, uh, sense that we should all foster and boy, you're getting it like in, in buckets (laughs) in rowing. Cause you, I'm sure there's many moments when you're practicing hard that you're just like, I just want to stop. But you know, you can say it, but you don't. It's just that must come up. Yeah, I think there's definitely something I think too with that's where like the team aspect and the competition too. Um, like, you know, when you have a teammate, you're not going to let them down. Like, and you're definitely going to try and get your boat over the line first. Like, you know, the, that competitive nature. And I think everyone that's, you know, here in Princeton training for the Olympics is like raring to go. We have another year. We're like all excited to have, like, you know, the US rally behind and have something positive to look forward to. Um, so yeah, everyone's working hard so we can all have some time to celebrate next summer. Let's do it. Woo. All right. Well, you'll get there and we will be cheering you. And maybe a year from now also that rowing will have a different visibility and prominence. And again, if there's any sponsors out there, contact me, contact Grace. Her, all of her info will be in the show notes, but do you have any, uh, like website or social media or anything that you have going? Cause I know you're super talented in a lot of ways. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm like on Instagram and I'm Ro Gracie, um, on that one. And that's probably the one I'm most active on, but I love yours, Laura. You're all oh, oh, thank you. Thank you. I try hard. Um, well, Ro Gracie, find her on Instagram and thank you, Grace. You're, you're such a, you're such an elegant person, eloquent, kind, um, and, and just all of you, I just, I really adore you all so much. And I'm just pulling for you. And I'm sure you're going to get gold next summer. Da, da, da. <laughs> Working hard for it. Thanks so much, Lara. Thanks for uh, being with us today. And for everybody who's listening, make sure you look up Grace, look up the U.S. rowing team and give them support. And as always, I'm pulling for you. Thank you. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.